0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When you imagine Mark Zuckerberg sitting down to write a blog post like the one he released last week, like, what do you picture?
0: Well, first of all, I picture Mark working very closely with his PR team.
1: This is Will Aramis. He writes about the tech industry here at Slate.
0: This is something they've been working on for a long time. I can't imagine Mark just, like, stayed up late one night with some extra coffee and and banged this out between midnight and 3 a.m.
1: Yeah, blog post, I feel like <laughs> it's more casual than what this is. It's 3,200 words.
0: I call it a manifesto.
1: I also noticed it's, it was, like, published in full in The New York Times. And when I saw that... The only thing that went through my head, I was like, this is like the state of the union or something.
0: Right. And I don't think that's crazy. Facebook is a union of sorts that includes some 2 billion people. And uh, Zuckerberg has sort of autocratic control over this network that shapes the way we all communicate on a daily basis. So uh, I think it's good that he is thinking hard about what that platform should be and that we're all paying close attention to what his thoughts are and scrutinizing them and dissecting what it might mean for us.
1: This blog post, manifesto, whatever you want to call it, it seems to be all about privacy. After accusations that Facebook peddled user data to companies like Netflix and Microsoft, Zuckerberg is saying, all right already, I hear you. And if you're rolling your eyes right now,
0: Will says, stop. You know, some people reacted to this by just sort of brushing it off. Look, this is just a hollow PR gesture. It doesn't really mean anything. I think there's probably some truth to that. But I, I also think there's more here. You don't write this kind of manifesto without having in mind some real changes to what the business is and, and what it's doing.
1: And the thing is, Facebook's business has become a central part of everyone's life. We'll scoured all 3,220 words of this document, trying to understand what this manifesto is going to mean for the citizens of Facebook. That's me and probably you. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. So Mark Zuckerberg's statement, it was called a privacy-focused vision for social networking. Which, like, when I read it, it sounds great.
0: Yeah, right? Who doesn't want privacy?
1: <laughs> but what Mark Zuckerberg seems to be doing in this is focusing on making data less permanent and more private. And he spends a lot of time talking about something called end-to-end encryption. Can you explain what
0: that means? So it's important to recognize what Zuckerberg is talking about here and what he's not talking about. And what he's not talking about is the data that Facebook collects on you whenever you're browsing the web or whenever you're using Facebook. They're going to keep doing that. And if you were hoping that that by privacy Mark Zuckerberg meant they're not going to keep doing that, then you will be sorely disappointed. Facebook is going to stay, Instagram is going to stay, Facebook's targeted advertising business that relies on tracking you all around the web is going to stay. What Zuckerberg is talking about is a sort of second pillar of Facebook's business that it wants to build and it wants to build this around messaging if you've used WhatsApp, that's probably a good example of the baseline that Facebook's starting from. They want to build on WhatsApp and and Facebook Messenger and Instagram Direct and build this massive global messaging service that combines all three of them. And that is what Mark is saying will be private and secure and end-to-end encrypted. So he's talking about when you message other people, on those platforms or when you post in private groups on those platforms they might even be big private groups those communications will be end-to-end encrypted
1: let me interrupt you because i think i think for an american audience they may not know what whatsapp is whatsapp is a messaging device also owned by facebook and very popular internationally and it allows like a different kind of messaging like group messaging and chatting in this way that is a little more narrow than like a traditional Facebook feed.
0: That's right. So in back in 2014, Facebook bought WhatsApp for $19 billion. And Americans were like, what? What the hell is WhatsApp? And why is he spending $19 billion on it? It's turned out to be an incredibly shrewd acquisition, like Instagram before it. And in many countries around the world, WhatsApp is actually the dominant messaging platform. This is true in Brazil. It's true in India. It's true throughout a lot of South Asia and South America. And people there use WhatsApp the way a lot of Americans use text messaging or Gchat. They just use it to keep in touch with their friends and family all day long. And they also use it, as you alluded to, for larger groups, so, you know, groups of people who, who share an interest or groups of people who work at the same place, they will send messages that are sort of like a blast to 20 people or, in some cases, uh, larger groups. And so there is a sort of social networking dimension to it. It's more than just text messaging, but it's it's in that direction.
1: So Facebook is really signaling with this statement that they think WhatsApp or a version of WhatsApp is the future. And they're saying they want to make that communication really private so that even Facebook doesn't see what you're saying back and forth, right?
0: That's right. So end-to-end encryption, if done right, means that nobody can see what you said except you and the recipients of your message. Even Facebook, as that message travels through its servers and through its system, if they were to you know, to try and look inside it, they could not decrypt it because the key to decrypt the message lies only with the intended recipient. What
1: does that mean for like how my Facebook feed will change?
0: I don't think it means much for how your Facebook feed will change because Zuckerberg didn't make this clear in his post, but he made it a little more clear in an interview with Nick Thompson, the editor of Wired. The Facebook feed isn't going away. The Instagram feed isn't going away. In fact, Facebook intends to keep making those things bigger, it's just that its focus is shifting and it sees the real growth area as being this sort of private, secure messaging. And within Facebook, I think they see more activity moving away from the, the main news feed and into groups.
1: Zuckerberger Zuckerberg has said that this is like making your communications more like a living room? of people versus like a big hall of people. But I guess I wonder like, you know, WhatsApp has had problems in terms of, you know, having problematic messages that spread. And so I wonder if it's more like being in a living room with your radical uncle who's like talking your ear off with all the sort of implications of that.
0: Yeah, I think in some cases, I think in some cases it could be, but the important distinction here is that when you are messaging, even if you're messaging in a large group, you're often doing so in a, a group that's sort of self-selecting, right? Like everybody has agreed that this group of people will talk together. And so it's less likely actually that these groups will have members who have a radically different perspective than you do. And so that actually has become a problem in itself in some countries. So WhatsApp has been has been accused of fueling ethnic hatred because you have these large groups of, you know, in some cases, 256 people who all think that a certain ethnic group is ruining the country and they can kind of share ideas in there and it becomes this closed chamber that can foment Radicalism, it can spread misinformation, and it has actually led to real world violence in some cases as well. So I think that's more of a concern than the concern that you'll be in a living room with somebody who just views the world in a totally different way than you do.
1: Well, I mean, it strikes me that this announcement was made the same week that we saw this testimony in Congress, this 18 year old from Ohio named Ethan Lindberger, who got up and said, You know, my mom didn't vaccinate me primarily because of the information that she got from Facebook. And those conversations, if they are encrypted end-to-end, so Facebook doesn't see them, Facebook can't police them, we won't see those conversations.
0: Yeah. If Facebook is serious about moving a lot of the activity on its platform, behind encryption and into private groups then you're absolutely right facebook won't be able to see that anymore facebook wouldn't be able to take responsibility for it even if it wanted to take responsibility for it and so that raises an entirely new set of concerns that all the stuff that's been out in the open the ugly fake news and misinformation that we've been harping on facebook for for the past couple of years nobody will be able to see that anymore it'll just be happening out of sight And that is scary in its own right.
1: You know, WhatsApp is the model for this idea of smaller conversations, smaller encrypted conversations. And I wonder if there's any example from other countries that are using WhatsApp more regularly of like how these private conversations can become problematic. Like we're so used to having the conversation about how, Facebook and Twitter are spreading misinformation. But how do these more private messaging conversations work? And how can they go wrong?
0: Right. So a good example is the Brazilian elections in fall 2018. There was a study of WhatsApp images uh, in the months leading up to these elections, um, researchers looked at groups that actually are open to the public and focused on politics and found that out of 100,000 images that were widely shared on the WhatsApp platform in Brazil, half of them contained misleading information or were just flat out false smears on a candidate. There were false flag conspiracy theories about a candidate faking his own stabbing. Now, this is just on the publicly visible groups, so we can only assume what's transpiring in the groups that are encrypted and private, but it did suggest that there's probably a lot more misinformation, a lot more hate speech, a lot more bad stuff going on that we don't have access to, and importantly, nonprofits and researchers and the media and the public can't see this content anymore. Yikes. Yeah, and the one I think the one mitigating factor that I would offer here that hasn't been mentioned a whole lot is part of the reason people get so upset over viral misinformation on Facebook proper is because Facebook's algorithm is playing a role in making that stuff go viral, right? It's Facebook's ranking system that cares about whether a post gets lots of engagement or or creates lots of emotional reactions, and that decides to show the post to more people. That algorithm doesn't look at whether the post is true or whether the post might be harmful or mean-spirited or even dangerous. So part of the problem there was Facebook's own role in amplifying stuff and making it go viral. If misinformation is circulating in private groups or in closed groups, that suggests it's doing so without the help of Facebook's algorithm. So there is at least some real sense in which Facebook is less complicit in that type of misinformation than it is in misinformation that, that say, shows up in, in Facebook's trending news page or, or shows up at the top of people's news feed when they didn't ask for it.
1: There's something else in this manifesto, this idea about connecting messaging between a bunch of Facebook properties, connecting your Instagram with your Facebook, allowing these things to kind of talk to each other and for you to message app to app. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, I think this is something that Facebook is a lot more excited about than the average Facebook user, probably. There are a couple dimensions to this. So so you're right. Facebook wants to weave together its various messaging platforms. Right now it has Messenger, um, which is popular in the United States. Uh, It has WhatsApp, which is popular in many other countries around the world. It has Instagram Direct, which is a really growing way for especially younger people to communicate. And it wants you to be able to message people from one platform to the next and keep that all end-to-end encrypted. Zuckerberg uses the word interoperability This is a a word that in the tech industry usually brings smiles to people's faces because you want different systems to be able to work together. You don't want them to be closed off from each other. But when Zuckerberg uses it, he seems to be talking mostly about interoperability between platforms that Facebook already owns. He did not address the question of whether these messaging platforms will interoperate with other messaging platforms that people already use.
1: You've also said that there might be this dual purpose here, which is a lot of people in the United States have been talking about whether we need to talk about antitrust regulation for these big digital properties and that combining all of these apps and their functionality together could prevent that. And I wonder how.
0: So and this is really timely because Elizabeth Warren announced just on Friday morning that she has a plan to break up Amazon and maybe other big tech companies, Facebook would be a likely candidate for that. and There is a really convenient thing about trying to take antitrust action against Facebook, which is that it has kept its main platforms largely distinct and separate so far. You could, in theory, mandate that Facebook keep WhatsApp separate from Facebook Messenger and that would make sense. That wouldn't be hard to do, particularly. If you really wanted to bring the hammer down, you could try to break off Instagram and WhatsApp into different companies from Facebook. Again, I think it's unlikely, but it's not, it's not unthinkable. But as soon as Facebook has made it so that all of these services kind of are of a piece, that they all work together, that people's data are shared across these services, it gets a lot harder to disentangle them and they can make an argument that it's not it's no longer a reasonable antitrust remedy. One person I saw referred to this as scrambling the eggs right? <laughs> like uh, Zuckerberg is cracking the WhatsApp egg, the, the messenger egg, the Instagram egg, scrambling them all together. And now it becomes a lot harder to get them apart.
1: You know, I noticed online this guy, Alex Stamos, who used to was he head of security at Facebook?
0: Yeah, that's right. He was their their chief information security officer.
1: He called this a judo move. (laughs) What does that mean?
0: He's saying that there's been all this pressure on Facebook for the past couple years around privacy and around its collection of data and its surveillance operation. At the same time, Facebook gets in trouble every time something bad is posted on its platform. People see that and they're like, look, Facebook needs to take responsibility for that. I think what Stamos is saying is that Facebook is going to use that pressure around privacy and kind of flip it around and say, okay, we're going to make a lot more Facebook content private. We're going to encrypt it. We're going to try to sort of head off the privacy pressure that way. And at the same time, that means we will no longer have responsibility for the content. People won't be able to see the, the bad stuff that's posted on here anymore. And we'll kind of, you know, kill two birds with one stone.
1: Yeah, it's like careful what you wish for.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like, you know, part of the reason that we've been screaming about all the bad stuff on Facebook is because we can see all the bad stuff on Facebook. If we can't see it anymore, maybe we can't scream about it anymore.
1: One thing that stood out to me reading this statement is Mark Zuckerberg has this whole moment where he he makes a point of dinging governments. He talks about how. You know, dissidents he's spoken to say encryption is why they are alive. You know, governments can compel us to give your information away. And encrypting information the way we're talking about doing, it allows us to avoid that, you know, avoid the creeping reach of government. And it just struck me as like a really useful thing to say when you might see your adversary as the government trying to regulate you.
0: All right. So I think that's that's a valid reaction, especially for people who live in places like the United States or Europe. But one thing that I've learned over the years of covering these tech companies, I mean, it's they cannot afford to see the world just through the lens of their home country. They have users all around the world. And this is a place where I actually take Zuckerberg partly at his word there are countries where everything you say online can be monitored by the government, where the government is a bigger threat than tech companies like Facebook or Google. Now, the caveat here is why does Zuckerberg need to integrate Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp in order to offer that? WhatsApp already has end-to-end encryption. So there's a little bit of a red herring here because... If what people want is a secure messaging platform, Facebook already gives them that in WhatsApp, and it doesn't need to build this behemoth app that that combines everything uh, the way it seems to be planning to.
1: You know, a few months ago, a bunch of people made a big splash saying they were quitting Facebook. And, you know, here's why. You know, I don't trust this app anymore. I don't trust this site. Is there an argument in this manifesto for any of those people to come
0: back? Not a good one. <laughs> The issue is that they have a, a very powerful and very popular platform. And for most people, even today, the fact that they don't fully trust Facebook is not enough to stop them from using it.
1: Willa Aramis, thank you so much for talking this
0: through with me. Thanks for the great questions.
1: Will Aramis writes about tech for Slate. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you're a fan of the show, and let's face it, you're listening to the credits, you probably are picking up what we're putting down. Let us know. One of the best ways to do it is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, because it helps other people find us too. We are reading what you're writing, and we're super, super grateful. Someone out there said I reminded them of Roman Mars. I was super flattered. One more way to keep up with us is to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. All right, everyone. It's the start of the week. So let's do this thing. See you tomorrow.